Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Psalm, David said, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer, my God, my strength, and whom I will trust. He's my buckler, the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. He's worthy of our praise tonight. He's worthy of every hallelujah, worthy of every shout. Oh, there's nobody like him. Nobody like the Lord. And I'm so thankful that I know him this evening. Aren't you thankful that you know who Jesus is? More than the lead character in a fairy tale story, but you can know him for yourself. You can experience him. The songwriter said he will walk with you. He will talk with you will tell you, you are, he is your own. Aren't you thankful for the goodness of God here today? If you have your Bibles, we're going to open and read from the book of 1 Peter, the second chapter, the ninth verse, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9, and verse number 10. As you're turning there, we do want to remember Pastor and Sister Boyd in our prayers, and remember... This upcoming hurricane that's supposed to hit Texas and Louisiana and various other states. Uh, usually we're in the limelight when it comes to the hurricane. And so we need to remember our brothers and sisters across the fellowship that need the prayers of the saints. And so uh, tonight, when before you fall asleep, just whisper a little prayer for them. Because early in the morning they're going to be facing possibly some terrible destruction, but God is able to intervene on our behalf. Amen. First Peter chapter 2, verse number 9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That's a powerful scripture there in verse number 10. There was a day when I was a nobody, but thanks be to God, he redeemed me from the snares of sin and from the clutches of the enemy. You are a chosen generation. And I want to preach to us today on this subject, identity crisis, identity crisis. Can we lift our hands? Let's pray and let's ask the Lord to speak to us. Father, 
In the name of Jesus, we are thankful for your spirit that is already moving in this service. God, we are asking you would speak to every man and woman, speak to every teenager and child that's in this room. Let the word of the Lord accomplish that which it was sent to do. God, we give you praise and thanks in advance for what's getting ready to come to pass. Pray in the name that's above every other name. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth and Jesus' mighty, all-powerful name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. Well, we are living in such an unusual day. Perhaps it is unlike any other time period in the history of humanity. Knowledge is increasing exponentially. Technology is advancing at an ever-alarming rate. And it is commonplace to see what was called a dream years ago become a reality today. What once some people thought of science fiction, we are seeing it being played out in our very lives in real time. And with the benefits and the advantages, the opportunities that come with modern technology, there is also a flip side. There is a warning that is spoken over and over again. With this sudden rise in technology, uh, we are told that various crimes can happen. Crimes that have taken place for years and years, like cars being broken into and stolen. Somebody breaking into a house and taking what's not theirs. But the real cause of concern is that crimes are happening and people don't even know it's taking place. They label it as cyber crime. See, with normal crimes years ago, you could tell when something's wrong. You could walk out and the car's busted, the glass is on the ground, somebody's been messing with my vehicle. You could walk into your home and you can look through all your belongings and realize somebody's been going through my stuff. But now there's a way that your identity can be taken and you don't even know it's been stolen. Not long ago, we were... Uh, at the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. At the time, we had just gotten married, and so Ashley was in Ohio, and she moved to Indiana. So because of that, she had to take her driver's test again and get it reinstated in another state. And so if you're looking for a good time, just go to the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. It's the time of your life. So we're already geared up. We're waiting patiently for our ticket to be called, and finally our number is spoken. We sit across the other side of the clerk, and we're waiting patiently as she gives her all the information. And Finally, uh, there's just a little pause. She's typing away on her computer, and it's just taking a little longer than normal. And finally, after a few minutes, I just said, is everything okay? They say, oh, it's just a little problem. It seems like her account's been red flagged. 
I don't know what red flag means at the Bureau of Motor Vehicles, but I got an idea it doesn't mean anything good. Now, so what's been a red flag for? They said, well, looks like her license was suspended when she was driving in Louisiana. I said, there's only a little problem with that story, is that she's never driven in Louisiana before. So she said, I'll go and get my manager. And so she goes and get her, gets her manager, and all the while, our hearts start to race a little faster. Uh, we're starting to become a little uneasy. And finally, she comes back and asks for all the information again and says, well, this is what's happened. There's been another Ashley Smith with the same name and the same birth date that got arrested in Louisiana. And for some reason, the officer assigned it to you. And I'm going to tell you, it's an unnerving feeling when your identity has been placed under question. You know it wasn't you, but now they're saying it was. And so with a little help and a few phone calls, we were able to remedy the situation. But I'm going to tell you what happens in the spiritual realm. There is an enemy that's trying to distort who we are. He's trying to convince us that we are not who we say we are. We are not who God says we are. And even when we flip through the pages of our Bible, we something very, find something very similar taking place. In Matthew, the 16th chapter, we find that Jesus is with his disciples. And as they are gathered around him, he stops his lesson. He pauses his sermon for just a moment. Then he turns and he asks them a question. He says, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And after a little while, they had ready answers. That tells us that that's not the first time this question has been asked. Somebody has been talking behind the scenes. Somebody has been converse, conversing about that at the dinner table. Who is this man by the name of Jesus? When Jesus asked them, who do men say that I am? There were ready answers that were given. Some say that you are Elias. Some say that you're Jeremiah. Some have even went so far to say you are John the Baptist, risen from the dead. And after Jesus heard what they had to say, he stopped again. Then he asked another question, a little more pointed. In verse 15 of Matthew chapter 16, he says, Now whom do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? I know what the popular opinion is. I know what society thinks. But now I'm going to be a little more direct. I want to know who do you say that I am? I don't know how long it was, don't know how many moments or seconds passed by, but finally Simon Peter had had all he could handle. He spoke up and he said, well, if nobody else will say it, I'll be the one that says it. He said, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And just as soon as those words came out of his mouth, Jesus spoke back and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. 
Huh? Jesus began to speak to this man, and in verse number 18, he said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter, this church is going to stand the test of time. This church will push through persecution. This church will overcome opposition. This church can drive right over devils and demons that come along the way. This church will stand. Oh, I'm thankful on a Wednesday night to be part of the church. Hallelujah. I'm appreciative that on a service during the midweek, I'm surrounded by people that live it, that believe it, that trust in Him with their hearts, trust in Him with their lives, trust in Him with their finances. And together we are the church. But I find it ever so interesting that when Jesus asked, Who do you say that I am? As soon as Peter told Jesus who he was, Jesus stopped him and said, now that you told me who I am, now let me tell you who you are. See, our identity is all entangled in who Jesus is. We are not anything special by ourselves. We are not anything eloquent through our own speaking and oratory and uh, and, uh, abilities. But when we put Christ as the head of our life, The old-timers used to say, he's the head of my life, and he's the center of my joy. When you put him as the head above anything and everything else, Jesus will then tell us who we are in him. We don't have to look for validation somewhere else. But when we begin to tell the Lord just how wonderful he is, it doesn't take long, and he starts blessing us back with his spirit. Prophet said in Jeremiah 10 and 10, he said, The Lord is the true God. He's the living God, and he's an everlasting king. David said in Psalm 24, 8, he asked a question. He said, Who is this king of glory? And he responded back and said, The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Verse number 10, he said, Who is this king of glory? He responded again. He says, the Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. Don't let the adversary dictate who we are. Don't let a pandemic dictate who you are. Don't let the unrest in our world, the unrest in our society, the division in our country dictate who we are. I don't want to be pulled away to I'm only part of the church or half of the church, but we are together the church of the living God. It's the church that Jesus died for on the cross of Calvary. He died for every person, for every culture, for every color, for every creed, so that you and I could be saved. And I'm just, I stand in amazement that God knows my insecurities and He chooses me. He knows all of my faults and my flaws and my failures. He knows every skeleton that's ever hanging in our closet, and yet He chooses us still. Huh? But we find ourselves in life, we can question why things happen. 
we can question why does God allow this to take place? Why is this happening right now when it really should not be? And to know that we are not alone. That even in the word of God, some of the greatest men, some of the most anointed of prophets found themselves right in the same shoes as you and I. It was Jeremiah who began to have a conversation with the Lord. It was Jeremiah chapter 1 that tells us God was clear when he spoke to Jeremiah and said, before you were formed in the belly, I knew who you were. And before you ever came from your mother, I ordained you to be a prophet. He's reinforcing this fact that, Jeremiah, I know you. I knew you before you were known. How remarkable is that? God knows us before the world knew who we were. God sees all. He's not caught off guard. He's not taken by surprise. He knows the very number of hairs that are on our head. He sees the sparrow when it falls. We find this prophet of God who has been spoken to directly by the Lord. God went so far to say, I anointed you. I called you. I sanctified you. I ordained you. I know you can't get clearer than that. But Jeremiah starts living life. Sometimes when you just live life, it can get a little shaky. You go through life and things don't always go to plan. It doesn't always go the way we think it should. Jeremiah now is in a place, he's beginning to wonder, why has God chosen me? Why did God select me? Why did God handpick me? He looks around. Jeremiah's not like the other prophets. He's not walking in the courtroom of the king like Daniel. He's not rising in popularity like Isaiah. Jeremiah, when he looks at his ministry, there are no crusades of converts. Jeremiah looks at his ministry. There's no droves of disciples. There's no mass miracle events taking place. Jeremiah preaches and the people reject him. And you can only deal with rejection so long before your mind will start playing tricks on you. They reject his ministry. They reject his message. And they reject him as a man. Jeremiah is now so upset. If we could label it anything, he starts having an identity crisis. God anointed him, God ordained him, he called him. Knowing all of that, Jeremiah gets so down, he gets so low, he gets so discouraged that in Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse number 9, the Bible says he sits down and he says this, I will not make mention anymore of his name. In other words, he said, I'm done preaching, I'm done prophesying, I'm done reaching the people, I'm done trying to draw the masses, I give up, I'm throwing in the towel, I'm waving the white flag of surrenderance, it's not worth it, 
It's not worth the sacrifice. It's not worth my energy. It's not worth my effort. It's not worth all that I'm putting into this. I'm done. And he sits down. But that very same verse says, but in my heart, the word of God became like a fire that was shut up in my bones. He said, I try not to speak the word. But see, once the word has been spoken to you, once the word been put in your heart, once the word been put in your soul, That's why it is so important that we come to church on nights like tonight because there are going to be nights that come along that you're going to feel the face of adversity. You're going to feel, I feel the Holy Ghost. You're going to feel the pressures of life. You're going to feel the burdens of the world. And you may even think for a moment, I'm done. But the word, The Word doesn't stop on Sunday morning. The Word doesn't stop on Wednesday night. The Word will come alive. The Word will encourage you. The Word will lift you up. The Word will empower you. Jeremiah found out, I feel down, but I'm not alone. I don't have to have this crisis because it was God that called me. But we see it over and over again. The man that spoke in Matthew 16, he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. It was that same man that denied Jesus three times before he was betrayed. And if, if there was ever a time to have a crisis, I would think that would be a time to have a crisis. Jesus died on the cross. It got so bad. John chapter 21 tells us that Peter told the other disciples, he said, I'm going fishing. I'm done. Now, at first glance, it means a little more than what we read at first. When he says, I'm going back to fishing, what he's saying is, I'm done preaching. I'm done being one of these 12 disciples. I'm done being called an apostle. I'm going back to my old life going back to the way things used to be before I came in contact with Jesus. I'm going to do what I know I'm good at, and that's fishing. He goes out on the water, and the Bible says he doesn't catch one single fish. You know why? Because when you try to walk away from God, life will never be the same. You can't go back to the way you used to act. You can't go back to the way you used to feel. You, you can try to fill it with all kinds of different things, but there's a void that only God can fill. Huh? Here he is out on the water in this identity crisis. And yet somebody stands on the bank and cries out and says, Throw your net on the other side. And when Peter throws his net on the other side and the fish start flowing and the boat starts being filled up, he says, I know who that is. This is not the first time this happened before. Jesus told us to cast our net on the other side in Luke 5. And we caught so much fish, our nets started breaking. Our boat started sinking. He said, I'm going back. 
And when he came back, Peter fell at his feet and said, Jesus, it's only you. It's only you. I can't go back to any other life. I can't go back to any other enjoyment. I can't find any other peace. I can't find any other happiness outside of you, Jesus. I know where I need to go. We see the same thing happening. They thought they were alone. They thought their failures had defined them forever, but that's simply not the case. I was reading, I'm not going to be too much longer, but I was reading a book about early Native American rituals. And I became mesmerized by some of the actions that they took. One of their ceremonies was for young men that turned 13 years old. This is hundreds and hundreds of years ago. But when a young man would turn 13, he had to prove himself to be a man for his tribe and for his village. And so they would put him through three different tests. They would put him through a fishing test. He would have to be able to go down to the water and catch a fish all alone. Bring that fish back and be able to feed the people. Then they would put him through another test, a hunting test. He'd have to go out into the woods and the wilderness, be able to hunt down an animal and bring him back enough to feed the people. But then the third test that they put him through, and this was the, the third final state. It was a survival test. And they would take this young man and they would lead him miles and miles away from the village. Away from everything that he knew. And he would be blindfolded. And they would take him away from his family, away from his friends, away from everybody he knew. And leave him out in the wilderness at the midnight hour. And the survival state was that if you could survive all night long. And the only thing that they gave him was a small knife to protect himself of any kind of danger. If he was able to survive all night long until the dawn dawn would break, he would know where he was at and he could come back home to his village. And so when I was reading that, I I tried to picture myself as a 13-year-old boy. Hopefully it's not that long ago. Y'all can say amen. That's all right. Y'all say amen. Amen, brother. Try to imagine with me. 13 years old, not knowing what you know now, not knowing adulthood and not knowing how to raise a family, not knowing working a job, nothing like that. 13, let's go back to 13. Being by yourself out in the woods, hearing all kinds of animals, all kinds of sounds, worried. Maybe there'd be another village, somebody that you didn't know. Maybe you'd have to defend yourself. It'd be late at night, and the lights would be out. Nothing. You couldn't see anything. Don't even have the flashlight from your iPhone. I'm talking about dark, dark. Can't see anything. All you can hear is just little sounds, snap of the twig, rustle in the leaves. You just have to survive. Hearing all kinds of noises, 
Yet they would say the ritual would always find the young man huddled down by a tree somewhere. When the dawn would finally break, morning would come. He would get up, take notice of his surroundings and start to go back on this journey home. Then when he would go back home, he was amazed at what he saw. Not far off, he would see a wolf that had been shot with an arrow just a few dozen feet away from where he was sleeping. He would walk further and further. There would be a, another animal, a coyote, that would be struck with an arrow. Now what that young man didn't know was that as according to the ritual, they would tell that young man he was all by himself. But in reality, they would always send his father. And his father would stay a few hundred yards away. So when any real danger would come, that father would take action and make sure the boy wouldn't be killed, wouldn't be harmed in any way. And so when he got up in the morning, he realized that even though he thought he was in control, the only reason why he survived was because of his father. And there was something about that when I read it, Brother Larry. I thought, how many times do we think we are in control of our lives? We think that we got everything together. We trying to put two and two and trying to line everything up. But in reality, the reason why we are still standing today is because there was a heavenly father that was watching over us. Oh, there's a reason why you didn't get in that accident. There was a reason why you may think it was your reflexes. It wasn't your reflexes. There was a heavenly father that was watching over you. You're able to get through sickness and able to live a life. I'm going to tell you why you can. It's because there's a heavenly father that's watching over us, that's guiding us, that's directing us. Moment that we wonder, God, where are you at? Don't ever forget, He's not too far away. The Bible says He's as close as the mention of His name. And when we call on the name of Jesus, heaven can snap into attention. And when you call on the name of Jesus, angels bow down in reverence. When you call on the name of Jesus, demons begin to tremble. Hallelujah. I feel like telling somebody, I don't know what's coming in the days ahead. But I want you to know you don't have to go through a crisis by yourself. You are not here all alone. There is somebody that's standing beside you. There's a church that you can lean on. There's a church that will grab you and hold you up. Oh, somebody ought to throw your hands in the air for a moment. Music's getting ready to come. So as Peter's penning these words of 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9, I think he's looking back on his life and telling those that are reading, now you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a peculiar people. There's something different about you. 
God has spoken to you. God has marked you. And no matter where you go, your life will be forever marked. Peter said, there was a time when I was a nobody, but God saw fit to give me a better life. There was a time we were on a path to a devil's hell. But thanks be to God, he reached down to where we were, rescued us from a life of sin, a life of chaos and turmoil. Here he is telling those reading his words, he said, you don't ever have to question who you are because in God we have salvation. In God we are his and his alone. Oh, can we lift our hands to the Lord one more time? Oh, I feel the presence of the Lord here today. I feel the touch of the Holy Ghost in this place. Oh, could you stand with me all across the sanctuary? Oh, hallelujah. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed, Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we are thankful that through the ups and through the downs, you are always present. God, through the thick and through the thin, you are always near. Through the highs and through the lows, you are as close as the mention of your name. God, you know what people are facing. God, you know the questions that are being asked that no one hears. God, you know the thoughts that are racing through our mind that we don't share with anyone else. God, I'm asking tonight you would wrap your arms of love around each and every one that's here. God, those that are fighting battles that they can't tell anyone about, those that are dealing with struggles and circumstance and trying to fight through a crisis, I'm asking, Lord, tonight you would send that refreshing and that renewing of the Spirit of God. Oh, hallelujah, would you move, Lord, from the front to the back, from the left to the right. God, from the eldest all the way down to the youngest, God, would you let your peace that passes all understanding come on us right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Can we lift our hands to heaven? Let's love him together. Come on, let's worship him for just a few moments. We're going to sing to the Lord. Why don't you let a praise and a worship rise to God? Come on, you are not by yourself. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.